through 26, starting in, uh, let's see, verse 57 here. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin, uh, the passage that the teaching is based on. And here, uh, the word of the Lord to you, God's beloved children. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. And they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, uh, we pray that uh, you would guide us by your spirit into your holy word, that we might behold our Savior, Jesus. We would see his love for us. And as we behold his love, we would believe, we would receive it, we would be transformed by it. And so we pray uh, that you would guide our minds, guide our hearts now as we attend to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been looking the last month uh, at the concluding chapters of the Gospel of Matthew and uh, each week, uh, we are asking the question, what is the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross? And so far, we've looked at several weeks now. I think maybe we're in the fifth or sixth week. And the, it, with totally different meanings. Each passage tells us because there's layer upon layer of meaning to what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross for us? And this week, uh, we are talking about the cross and justification which is a theological word that some of you are going to be more acquainted with than others, uh, but it's actually one of the most important words in the history of Western civilization. And I need to begin this morning with an introduction to the word justification. Because in the beginning of the 16th century, there was a massive tear in the Western church called the Reformation, most of you have heard of, that was led by... Uh, Martin Luther began with the teaching of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a monk living in Germany who was protesting the Catholic Church's use of indulgences. And indulgence was where the Catholic Church said that people could come and they could pay money to the church. And if you paid money to the church, then the punishment 
that you would have to pay, the time you would have to pay in purgatory for your sins would be reduced because of the money that you gave to the church. And Martin Luther came and said, you know, the way that you're made right with God is not by doing good works or is not by, even by paying for indulgences, but the way that you are made right by God is by grace as a gift through Jesus Christ. And it's something that we simply receive by faith. And this discovery about how we relate to God, uh, which radically transformed our society, actually, came through a study of the Greek word for justification, dikaiao, or dikaiosis. And for centuries, the church had understood that the word justify meant that you are made, meant that you were made righteous by God. To be justified meant that you were made righteous. And that is that through the Mass, you know, you come to church and you come to the Lord's table, God would infuse you with his grace and you'd be filled up with his grace so that you would be made into a righteous person. And you'd go around and you'd do good works. And you might think, well, what sounds wrong with that? God infusing us with his grace. But what would happen is then you'd leave church and then you'd sin again. And so you'd been in a state of grace and now, you've, now you're back in a state of sin. So I had to go back to church and I'd get refilled up. And so you were constantly trying to maintain this state of grace. And what Luther discovered is that dikaiao was a Greek word that was borrowed from the courtroom. And to be justified was not to be made righteous, but to be declared righteous. You know, like when a judge pronounces a final verdict on someone, and he says either you're guilty or you're righteous or you're innocent. And it's to receive that pronouncement. It's a very subtle difference. But he said that in Jesus, we are not simply made righteous, but God gives us a once-for-all permanent declaration in Jesus that we are approved by him. And that declaration is not based on our good works, but on Jesus' good works. Now, when you hear that, you might say, you know, this is exactly the problem I have with the church and with Christianity. You know, all this division for centuries between the Catholics and the Protestants, and it's all about this little interpretation of this one word, this one little word, and we're having all these wars, all these divisions, all these fightings, and, and, and what is that about? But for Luther, that one word, that little nuance was the difference between freedom and fear, the difference between joy and depression, the difference between hope and dread. And so today, we're going to talk about the meaning of that great word, justification. And the clue that this is an important topic for us is because here we are in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we come to the climactic ending of Jesus' ministry. And where does it take place? In a courtroom, right? We're in a courtroom. Look at verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. Now the priests and the elders, they were the judges in Israel. They were the judges. And the scribes were the experts in the law. They're the lawyers. What's happening here is a trial. Jesus is on trial. We're in a courtroom. And Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is about his justification, his verdict. And therefore it's about our justification, our verdict in our life. And so this morning, I want to explain the significance of justification under these two simple headings. Justification is a verdict. Justification is a power. Two profound truths, and these, these truths are so important to me. I hope, I hope they, uh, I can communicate that to you, and I hope this is helpful. So this morning, two simple truths for us. 
First, justification. What is justification? Justification is a verdict. And now, you know, for some of you, the whole legal aspect of Christianity might seem strange to you. It seems impersonal to think God is a judge. And, you know, we will all have to stand before God and give an account for the things that we've done in our life. But, you know, if you've ever said to someone, I'm going to drink this whole milkshake. Don't judge me for it. Don't judge me. You know, that's, I, how many times do we hear that? Don't judge me. I'm going to drink the whole milkshake. And if you, try, if you say that, you know, that's something that just comes out of us. It is an indication to us that judgment, being judged, is something that's very sensitive to us. It's very sensitive to our souls. It's something we're very alert to. And I'll tell you, uh, when I uh, first uh, learned about, is there a noise? Yes. Do you hear a noise? Should I switch mics, uh, Autumn? Oh, it isn't. Okay. What is it? Oh, you got some feedback coming? Can you see some feedback? All right. Scale of 1 to 10, how distracting is it? <laughs> it's fine. All right, I'm keep going. All right, sorry. I, all right, here we go. Justification is verdict. And we are sensitive to judgment, right, to other people judging us and, you know, what people say about us. And I'll tell you, the first time I learned about the importance of verdicts, was, you know, I've shared with many of you that when I was a teenager, I got in a lot of trouble. I had left home when I was 15. I dropped out of school. I was, you know, on drugs and stealing all my food and all my clothes. And my parents had me, you know, my parents were like, what am I going to do with this kid? And so they had me picked up in the middle of the night, and I was sent away to a boys' school in, on the island of Western Samoa. I was there for a year and a half. And it was a behavioral modification program. And in this school, we went to these seminars where we would, you know, learn about, you know, what, what God, why are we, we've been such a pain. And so during these seminars, the whole philosophy of the seminar was that, you know, the reason we are behaving badly as kids was uh, not, it was because there were certain emotions that were dry, creating these behaviors in us. And those emotions that were inside of us came from certain beliefs about the world. And underneath those beliefs about the world, there were certain core beliefs about ourselves that defined how we acted and how we lived. And these were core beliefs like, I'm worthless, I'm dirty, I'm stupid. And what they discovered was that the thing that drives our lives, that defines who we are, are these pronouncements about our identity that sound very much like a final judgment, right? You are stupid, you are worthless, you are a waste. It sounds like a final judgment. And many of you, I know, live with those kind of verdicts swimming in your mind all the time on a daily basis. You're fighting, they, they can't be silenced. You are such a fool. You are so stupid. You are worthless. These are all pronouncements of condemnation. And because, you know, for many of us, those things are so powerful. We spend much of our life maybe looking for a person in our life that will love us and maybe reverse that, you know, someone that will tell us that we're okay and that will, you know, encourage us and that will love us and approve of us to try to undo those verdicts that are living inside of us. Or sometimes some of us spend our whole lives searching after a career or accomplishments in our life. And, you know, if I accomplish enough, maybe I can reverse the verdict that says that my life is a waste. All of these things are about justification. 
We must find something to justify our existence. And we are shaped deeply by verdicts that are in our past, you know, people, things that we've said to ourselves that the people have said to us in our past, and we're searching for verdicts in the future. We're chasing after verdicts in the future. The question is, why is there such a nagging concern about the verdict on our lives? Why do we have such a nagging concern about that? This is because deep down we know we were made for God. We were made to be judged by God. We were made for our creator to look upon us. And we long for him to say, you are good. You are approved. You are loved. And you know, in Samoa, you know, I got sent away in this program. We went through these seminars. And we were, all these kids are realizing, wow, I have these verdicts that are living inside of me. They're driving my life. That I'm worthless. And that and, you know, some of my parents told me or that I, you know, their friends told me. And, um, and what the program said is, they said, you know, you can't spend your life looking to other people for a verdict because they can't give it to you. You know, if you try to find someone who's going to give you that perfect verdict, it won't, you can't depend on them. So what do you need to do? You need to give yourself a verdict. So, for example, my verdict was, I am a loving and free young man. And that was something that I was supposed to tell myself over and over again. And I'll tell you, all these kids, these punk kids that were, you know, coming off drugs, they were in all kinds of problems, they came from hard families, were trying to give themselves a verdict, and all of them knew, I don't want to give myself a verdict. That won't speak to my soul and to my heart. That won't speak to my existence. That will not define my identity. It won't work, and it didn't work. And this is because deep down, not only do we know that we were made for God to judge us, deep down we know that the verdict on our lives is in question. I am not convinced that God can look upon me and say, very good. It is an unresolved question, and we know it. And so what's happening in this passage is that Jesus, our Savior, is walking into the place of our verdict. He's walking into the trial. He's walking into the courtroom. And there's two important things about our verdict and Jesus' verdict that I want to point out from this passage, okay? The first is that Jesus takes the false verdicts of the evil one for us. Jesus takes the false verdicts of the evil one. And a major part of this little episode that we read is that there are false accusations that are brought against Jesus, right? You see that in verse 59. Now, the chief priests... And the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Uh, at last, two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus was taking these uh, false accusations, the false witnesses were twisting the truth because Jesus never said that he was going to destroy the temple. That's actually, that's close to something that he said, but he never said, he said, you destroy the temple and I'll raise it up, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about his body. And some of you know that the name Satan in the Bible literally means the accuser, the one who brings accusations. And of course, Satan is also the liar. The one who brings false verdicts is the one who is the liar, the accuser. And that is who Satan is. And for many of us, the pronouncements that we battle in our lives are false statements about ourselves 
that are a twisting of the truth. You know, probably at least twice a week, I get into bed and, you know, I say to my wife, you know, I'm, I'm wasting my life. I, you know, this is my line. I, I'm such a worthless bag of waste flesh. You know, she kind of rolls her eyes at me. And, and, you know, what's happening there when I say that? I'm a worthless bag of waste flesh. Is I'm taking something that, yeah, it's true that I, you know, continue to struggle with sin, whether it's anger, whether it's laziness, whether it's selfishness, continue to struggle with those. That doesn't mean my life is a waste. That thing that's true about me, that I'm a sinner, has been magnified into a greater lie about my life, that my, my life is a lie. And um, part of the great darkness in our individual lives and in humanity as a whole is the great web of lies about who we are. And Jesus entered into that web of lies to take it upon himself to expose the lies and speak the truth that God is righteous and God is good. And that we don't have to believe those lies. And in him, we are freed from them. And so first of all, Jesus took the, the false verdicts of the evil one. But the second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus takes the true verdicts of our blasphemy. And what's fascinating about this whole scene that we just read is the reversal that has happened. You know, Jesus is being judged. That's backwards. <laughs> Jesus is the judge. He's supposed to be the one judging. You see what it says in verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? We have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. The chief priests and the scribes are accusing him of blasphemy, but they're the blasphemers. They're the ones who should be condemned for blasphemy, and he's the one who should be judging them. The whole scene has been switched. There's been a trading of places. The judge is being called a blasphemer, and the blasphemer is in the place of the judge. He is taking the sentence of death that they deserved and that we deserve. And the cross tells us that our sense of guilt and therefore our shame, on the one hand, there are certain lies that give us a sense of shame that we shouldn't believe that need to be exposed by Christ. He exposed them and teaches us the truth about who we are. But there are certain things about us that are true, that we are all born with a nature, nature to blaspheme God. And we deserve the sentence of death that Jesus has taken in our place. And so this is chilling. But Jesus, our beloved Savior, takes both the false lives of the evil one and the true judgment and we deserve. And he takes it in our place. Look at verse 62. Listen to these words. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. He took the judgment. Jesus wants to free you from condemnation. So he took it in your place. And what God is offering you in Jesus is a permanent, once for all pronouncement that you are righteous, you are approved, you are loved. And it's not a state of grace that you fall in and out of. It is an immovable act of judgment. It's a final verdict. And it's not based on what you've done, it's based on what he's done. He washed away your guilt. He clothed you with his righteousness. And because of the sufficiency of Christ, 
you can be perfectly embraced by your Father in heaven. And so this burning question, there's a burning question in each one of us of this verdict. What is my life worth? Am I somebody? It can only be permanently answered in the gospel of Christ. And you know that it hasn't been permanently answered in your life. You know, if you've been looking anywhere else besides Jesus, if you've been looking to people, if you've been looking to jobs, you know that it's never, it's never per, per, perfectly answered, permanently answered. And so the question for us is, will you believe it? Will you receive the final verdict that comes only in Jesus by faith as a gift, not of your good works, Will you receive the powerful words of God and Christ? It's that pronouncement, that one little pronouncement that Martin Luther was willing to fracture, fracture the church over. So that's what justification is. Justification is the final verdict in Jesus right now. And we need it both because of the lies of the evil one that, that torment us and also the guilt of our sin that hangs over us. But the illustration, you know, that I shared with you from my time in Samoa, where all these kids are realizing that they have these verdicts that are living inside of them, that, oh, you know, I'm worthless, and I'm stupid, and I'm, you know, nobody could ever love me. All of these pronouncements, what they tell us is the power of these pronouncements. It's not just information. You know, when someone makes a judgment or a verdict on you, it's not just information of you. It has human verdicts have the power to shape our whole lives, to shape our behavior, to shape how we live, to shape how we relate to people. If human verdicts have that much power, how much more power does the verdict and pronouncement of God when God makes a pronouncement over us? So that's the second thing that we're going to look at is not only that justification is a verdict, but second, justification is a power. And you see this here, look at verse 63, where it says, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now this is a reference to Jesus' uh, ascension. So that after Jesus was condemned, he was crucified, God raised him from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what Jesus is saying here is that he knows they are going to condemn him and crucify him, but God is going to reverse the verdict. So they're going to place their verdict on him, that he's a blasphemer, and they're going to crucify him. And God is now going to place his verdict on Jesus. And when God places his verdict on Jesus, what happens? Jesus comes back to life. When God justified Jesus, when he said, you are righteous, you are not condemned, you are righteous, when he justified him, it was not just information. He didn't just say words and say, you know, I stand with Jesus. He didn't just say, this is Jesus' status, that I approve of him. When God says you are righteous, when God's de declaration is pronounced, it has a power to reverse death. It has a profound power. New worlds are made when God speaks. And when God declares someone righteous, they don't stay the same. They go from death to life. When God declares you righteous in Jesus, the word that created the universe has just said, you are good. You do not stay the same. When God's word speaks over you, and this is one of the reasons why 
coming to church every week is so important. Because when you come here, you know, we confess our sins. And, you know, and Daniel just read this, this pr- pronouncement of that when we, were, you know, when we were weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that you were forgiven in him. And you hear those words. That's not just information. That is the word of God making a pronouncement about you. And when God makes a pronouncement about you, there is a power in it. When God says, let there be light, what happens? There's light. <laughs> Worlds are made. And that's what's happening. When you hear the word of God preached to you, it is God speaking to you, declaring to you who you are, and it does not leave you the same. God's word does not return void. And when we realize that, it totally turns upside down how we understand judgment. Because, you know, for many of us, we think that the Christian life is about being a good person. You know, if I do enough good deeds, I'll get to the end of my life, and I'm going to get a final verdict that says, you know, good job. You did it. You were good. And actually, I was, I was talking to someone who recently who told me that's, that's what being a Christian is about. You know, we just keep our nose clean, and then at the end, we're all going to the same place. Keep your nose clean, and at the end, we're all going to the same place. Which means that we're spending our whole life chasing a verdict that comes at the end of our life. And we're doing enough good deeds and hoping that at the end, we'll get that final verdict. Justification reverses the whole thing and says you get your final verdict at the beginning of your life. And that final verdict God pronounces over you lives inside of you. And it becomes the power that defines how you live and how you relate to people and how you think about yourself. It actually creates love in you. And it creates in you a worshiper. It creates in you freedom. And so the verdict is not something you're chasing after. It is the driving power that is leading your life. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? And the verdict begins to prove itself true. Because God's words are true. And the verdict that's living inside of you begins to prove itself true as you live your life. The final verdict you received at the beginning. And so the question for us this morning is, what verdict is defining your life? Are you looking to people for a verdict, to your family, to your parents, to your boss, to your spouse, to your friends? Are you looking to your career and accomplishments for a verdict? Or will you believe that Jesus is sufficient for you? Will you rest in him Will you receive God's approval as a gift? God calls you to rest in him today. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we thank you for this great hope of the gospel, this little word that in Christ we are justified. And Lord, uh, you know the false verdicts, pronouncements that live inside of each one of us. Pronouncements that are lies. Pronouncements that if it was only our sin would be true. And we pray that you would speak powerfully your pronouncement that we have in Jesus to each one of our hearts 
and souls and minds. That that verdict would live inside of us and be the power that sends us into the world with love and forgiveness and service and worship and joy and freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.